If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go ahead and open them to the Gospel of John today. We are in John chapter 7 as we're going through God's Word. Excuse me real quick while I take a drink. It's rude for me to do that, I know. I'm sorry. It's just I taught this morning, and then I sang really loud, and my voice is already shot because our worship music is so good, and you guys make me sing so loud because ah, I love it. Man, y'all, I am so grateful for all that God's doing. I actually sat down this week and tried to make out a list of all of the people who are in leadership or who volunteer here at Christiansburg Baptist Church and just try to kind of wrap my head around it. And man, it is incredible when you start putting that list together to see the team that God has assembled in this church family. And we are so grateful for you and grateful for all that God is doing. So now, as we're diving into John chapter 7 this morning, You've known that we've been going through the Gospel of John if you've been with us. By the way, if you're a guest with us this morning and uh, you've not had a, I've not had a chance to meet you, I want to let you know, my name's Sean, and I have the privilege of being the pastor here uh, at Christiansburg Baptist Church. I am so grateful for that privilege and have been here for a little over 10 years officially, I guess, as pastor, and enjoyed seeing what God can do through all of these different things. As we're diving in, we have been in a study through the Gospel of John over the last several months. And we're going to be hitting John chapter 7 today. As we do, we're going to kind of focus in on about three or four main verses over towards the end of the chapter. I'd encourage you, though, keep your Bible open to John 7 because there's going to be a little bit of of background information we're going to go back and pick up. But I want you to kind of go back with me to an event a few years ago that is uh, etched in my memory, okay? It had been kind of a normal night. Uh, We had been doing you know, normal stuff. I, I don't even remember. I asked Samantha if there was anything significant that had happened that evening. I don't think there was. You know, normal chores, laundry, putting the kids to bed, all that kind of stuff. And I remember distinctly opening the door to the basement. Now, the basement is where our laundry room is. We had just gotten this washing machine. It was a second-hand one that someone had been generous enough to give us because ours had died. And I went down to check to see if the machine was done so I could change over the laundry and put it in the dryer. As I started down the stairs, I I began to notice something. The air felt a little more humid than it should have. Not only that, the washing machine wasn't done yet. In fact, it sounded like it was still filling up. So as I reached the bottom of the stairs and looked over to our utility room, I saw standing water in the bottom of our, our basement. Now, our basement is a three-quarter basement. It's got a door that opens up out the back of the utility room. So great. Now, all basements have to have what? Well, they have to have a floor drain, right? Isn't that what you put in the bottom of a basement? Just for times such as this. Except, you know what? The previous owner of our house in an epic move of home ingenuity had repurposed the floor drain of our basement, and it is the drain that now feeds our bathroom in the basement. So that drain was completely sealed off. We now have a half an inch to an inch of standing water in the utility room as it's starting to seep under the paneling, under the walls, and beginning to ruin everything in our basement. Now, thankfully, it's utility carpet down there, so I called my dad. He comes over with a squeegee and a shop vac. I, of course, immediately unplug the washing machine so that it won't do any further damage. In, in retrospect, what we found out was, I don't know if you've ever taken apart a washing machine. It's kind of a fun experience, especially the older ones that you could actually still work on. Um, they're a little tube that is the pressure sensor that tells it when the water is full. 
right? When you set your load side, it's expecting a certain amount of pressure in this little tube. And you know what happened with that particular secondhand washing machine? That little tube was no longer connected. So you know what had happened? The washing machine said, it must not be full yet. So for somewhere in the neighborhood of two hours, water was overflowing out of our washing machine into our basement, creating a scene that I will not likely forget anytime soon. But as I think about what we're looking at this morning in God's word, I want to encourage and remind you of that particular picture. Because what we're going to be seeing this morning is that for those of us who know Jesus, our lives should be like our defective washing machine. There should be something overflowing out of us into the world around us that changes everything about who we are and what we see. So as we dive in this morning, that's what I basically am going to want you to see. If we have come to Christ, our lives should overflow with him. So dive in here with me. We're going to pick up here in John chapter 7, starting in verse 37. Now, I'm going to explain the context in just a minute, but let's read these verses, and then we'll go back and explain what we see. On the last and most important day of the festival, John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last and most important day of the festival, we'll explain it, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believe in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. If you've been with us during our study, you might be sitting here saying, boy, Sean, I know why you wanted to preach through John. Because basically, you're just preaching the same message every Sunday. This should sound familiar, right? We've already talked about back in John chapter 4, when Jesus met the woman at the well, he told her that he wanted to give her living water. If you remember, we talked about that. We actually referenced these verses when we were talking through that passage. If you don't remember that, You're like everybody else. It's okay. I hardly remember what I preached last week. It's okay. Um, All right, y'all awake this morning? I'm sorry. It's, you okay? All right, okay. Just making sure we're together. All right. As we're going through this, though, in John chapter 4, you have Jesus introducing this concept of the fact that he can give living water. This living water can change, can transform, can shape people in a way that nothing else can. Remember, we saw that she had been trying to find her satisfaction in different relationships, and we saw that that didn't ever work, and it never fully satisfied her. And so Jesus alone offered her the satisfaction that she couldn't find anywhere else or any way else. So in that particular instance, we noticed then that that Jesus was offering living water, and we kind of talked about the need for us to find our satisfaction in Christ. We built on that a little bit last week when we looked at John chapter 6. If you remember, the main metaphor there was that Jesus is the bread of life. And he talks about whoever eats of that will never be hungry again. In fact, chapter 6, verse 35, he pulls both back together. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. So here he's again offering living water and bread that satisfies our heart's deepest needs. So in chapter 4, we saw it, and we kind of explained the fact that we all have a deep need in our heart that that only Jesus can fill. In chapter 6, we saw that for us to have that, though, remember we talked about the fact that we have to be willing to eat his flesh, drink his blood, take Christ in in belief to the innermost parts of who we are. So it kind of developed a little bit. It wasn't just the need for it. It was the cost of it. 
that if you and I are going to truly follow Jesus, we're going to have to take him deep into our hearts, deep into our souls, that this has to be a transformation that goes really deep into who we are. In fact, it changes everything about who we are, which we'll talk about more this morning. So then, what's the difference here? Can I just say, you know, see last week's message, goodbye, y'all are dismissed. We need to dig in a little bit deeper here. He established the significance that you need it. He established the cost in chapter 6. But now what he's doing in chapter 7 is telling us the outcome of it. What happens when you and I drink deeply of Christ? Well, what happens is you and I, when we put our saving faith in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, we should then be able to see that flow out into the world around us through everything we say, everything we do, and it'll overflow out of who we are. Okay? We clear on that? All right. Y'all awake? Man, I'm sorry. It just seems like we we should have just quit after the music. I think it's downhill from there. All right? As we're diving in this morning, then let's kind of get some context. As we read through these verses, again, I want you to see, if we have drunk deeply of Christ, if we have believed in him, then that should flow out into everything we do, okay? So now back up and get some context. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him, okay? The Jews have already gotten to the point where they're trying to kill Jesus. Isn't that a great day? The Jewish festival of shelters was near. Now, let's talk about the Jewish festival of shelters. Depending on your translation, you maybe say festival of booths or the feast of tabernacles. All of that's referring to the same feast. You'll remember that God had given the nation several feasts that they were supposed to observe throughout the year. Everything in chapter 7 is taking place around the Jewish festival of tabernacles or booths or shelters. This was a festival that took place five days after Yom Kippur, which was the Day of Atonement. That really is like, you know, Hanukkah has gotten kind of elevated because it's close to Christmas and and so everybody's trying to be equitable. But really in the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur is really the main day. Yom Kippur and the Passover, those are the main celebrations because Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement, which was where they would make the sacrifices on behalf of the people and do this once a year. Five days after that, you would start the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It happened around September, October, depending on the year. And as they would do this, this was at the end of the grape and the olive and the fruit harvest. Not the end of the wheat harvest, but all the grapes, olives, and other fruits. And it was a time of celebration. People would flock to Jerusalem. And when they did, they would build shelters or booths or tabernacles. They'd build little places to camp out all week long. This was a reminder of the fact that as they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, they lived in tents and didn't have a permanent place to live. So the Feast of Tabernacles, they would move out of their houses, move into these little booths and shelters and things like that, and celebrate the fact that God had given them this land and remember about their time wandering around in the wilderness. Now, historians tell us that there was another part of this ceremony that had developed that's not in Scripture, but that we see and makes it really important to understand what's going on here. There was a part of this where they would observe this feast for seven days, and then they'd added actually an eighth day of solemn reflection and prayer. Most likely, John's not referring to the eighth day of the festival. He's referring to day seven uh, just because of how it was originally done. As Jesus is standing up in the middle of day seven where something interesting has been taking place, every morning during the feast, the high priest would go out and take a group of priests with him. They would take a golden pitcher, and they would fill it with water from the pool of Siloam. 
Then they would come back to the temple with that pitcher of water, and they would go around the altar with the high priest leading the procession. And as they went through this ceremony, they were thanking God. They were using Psalm like 113 through 118, which are psalms that praise God as the God who gave them the harvest. So this water ceremony was a symbol for them that God had provided water in the wilderness, and God had provided them the water they needed for the harvest that they would have. In fact, day eight that they added onto the ceremony was a day of Solomon prayer for God to continue to send rains so that they'd be able to harvest their wheat and that everything would go well. So they had this ceremony where they would take water and they would walk it across Jerusalem to the temple. They would pour it out, all this kind of thing. Now, on the last day of the festival, the the seventh day, they would do it seven times as a symbol, again, just causing the people to sing and praise. So imagine this picture. You've got thousands of people who've come to Jerusalem for this festival. It's been a week of partying and having fun and celebrating all that God's done. And now as they're going through this ceremony where they have this pitcher of water and they walk it back to the temple and they pour it out, they have this procession as they do this thing seven different times, all of a sudden, Jesus, who's been kind of in the background this whole festival, stands up in the middle of the crowd and says this, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Do you see this? And the crowds are singing psalms to God, and Jesus stands up and cups his hands and says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Jesus takes this picture that they've been doing all week long and says, Guys, that's talking about me. I'm the God who provides the water. I'm the God who provides the rain. In fact, the book of Hebrews even says that Jesus was symbolized by the rock that was struck to be able to provide water for the people as they were going through the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings. He's been teaching. He's been doing all of these things in the background. And then suddenly he stands up and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, I told you before, It's really rude for me to do this. It's rude, isn't it? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Let's use three words to guide our understanding of how that life of Christ should overflow through us. The first word that I want to give you is the word thirst. Thirst. See, here's what's interesting. As he says this, if anyone is thirsty, it's interesting. We've mentioned it over the last few weeks, haven't we, that the reality is all of our hearts are thirsty. We're all looking for something. We're all looking for satisfaction. We're all looking for identity. We're trying hard to find it somewhere. Every single person in all of history has. How many of you have ever been around a child who does not want to take a nap? Okay. How many of you were that child who did not want to take a nap? Okay. If you've never been around a child who does not want to take a nap, here's how this goes. Look, you need to lay down. No, I don't. No, I'm fine. Have you ever watched, like, have you seen the videos where, like, kids fall asleep on the stairs because they refuse to go to bed, and so their parents are like, fine, you just, whatever, and then they just fall where they finally collapse because they refuse to acknowledge that they're tired. 
right? No, I'm, 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 I'm okay. How many of you guys have, have ever done that about being sick? I, no, I'm not sick. <coughs> I, I just got something about the room. <clears throat> right? You do that about being sick? You really need to go to the doctor. No, it's allergies. Allergies don't make it where you can't breathe, okay? That, that's not what allergies do typically, unless you're, like, having anaphylaxis, which is bad, okay? But when are you going to finally get well? When you acknowledge that you're sick, right? When you're finally willing to say, you know what? I need medicine. I need to go to the doctor. I, I need to get well. When's that child finally going to find rest? When they'll acknowledge that they're tired and just lay down. So when are we going to be filled from your thirst? Well, it starts with acknowledging that you're thirsty. See, the reality is all of us are. Every single human being on the face of the planet is thirsty for someone to tell them that they matter, that their life has meaning and purpose. It's in every human heart we have this ache. So the question for us is, are you willing to see Jesus standing in the crowd and saying, if anyone is thirsty, are you willing to recognize it? Are you willing to acknowledge it? Most of us live our lives like the, the baby that won't go to bed or the, the person who's sick and won't take any medicine. We live our lives trying to ignore that thirst, trying to just put it off, trying not to deal with it or address, with, address it. But the reality is Jesus says the only way for you to truly be satisfied is to recognize you are thirsty. And if anyone is thirsty, let him come and take a drink. In the same way, your heart won't find the satisfaction it's crying out for until you recognize you're spiritually thirsty. Jesus has used that in other places to be able to turn our understanding of life upside down. Matthew chapter 5, he says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, if I asked to just give me your definition of what would make your life hashtag blessed, right? Yeah, it's that time of year again, where everybody puts hashtag blessed on all their Thanksgiving posts. If I were to ask you what you would define blessed as, most people would probably say things like having enough food to eat, having a warm place to sleep tonight, ha- having family that loves me, people that care about me. Comfort is what we usually think of with blessed, isn't it? Yet what did Jesus say was the way to find blessing in life? He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We're all hungry for something. We're all thirsting for something. Why not direct that towards Christ? Because that's what you need. That's the only place to find hope and to find help. We've asked it several times in recent weeks, but let me ask you again. Have you ever acknowledged that you are thirsty? Have you realized yet that nothing you can ever do on your own can satisfy that thirst? If you never have, but you're reaching that point this morning, can I tell you that you're actually in a great place? This feels confusing or disorienting because you may have lived your life trying to to solve things on your own, trying to figure it out on your own, but as you're hearing about the, the lion who declared that death has no hold on me and all of these things that we've talked about this morning, you're realizing that you're, the way you've been living isn't okay and you're confused and you're disoriented, that's a great place to be. Because Jesus says, if you've recognized your thirst, then you can do number two, which is drink. Drink. 
When we acknowledge our thirst, then we can drink from him. Look back again at verse 37. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Remember what's happening when Jesus is saying this. The crowds are singing praise to God as the God of the harvest. The priests are carrying these golden pitchers of water as a reminder of the fact that God's the one who gave them water in the desert and provides rain for their crops. And in the middle of it, Jesus stands up and declares he's the one they're talking about. He's the God who gave rain for their harvest. And more importantly, he's the God who gives life for our souls. So when we recognize our thirst, then the next part of this is for us to come to him and drink. What does that look like? What does it look like to drink from Jesus? Is that why we got a new water fountain? This is the Jesus water fountain? (laughs) No, but it is really cool. If you haven't used it, the the bottle filler thing is just really cool to me. It's like magic. Is that how we come to Jesus? Is we just go out to the foyer and there's the Jesus fountain and we just drink from it? No, that, that's just town water, guys. It's got a filter on it. But. How do we drink deeply from Christ? The next verse actually gives us a hint. Look at verse 38. The one who believes in me. This brings us back again to an idea that we've seen throughout the book of John. The way we receive this living water is by believing in Jesus. Remember, that's why John was writing his gospel. That's why this keeps coming back up. John chapter 20, verse 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you're recognizing your spiritual thirst today, then come and drink deeply of him by believing in who Jesus is. Believe that he really is the Son of God who came in the flesh. He really performed miracles that demonstrated that he was God over all of creation. He really did walk among us and live a perfect life and yet be put to death for my sins and yours. See, that's what Jesus was doing here. He was coming and he was teaching and he was demonstrating and he was setting the stage for his kingdom. But in that, one of the main pieces of that was that you and I can't be a part of the kingdom of God because we've chosen to make our own little kingdoms. And Jesus came to say, that's never gonna be enough. But he died on the cross and rose from the dead to free you from having to be your own king, finding your own satisfaction. And instead, he says, if you come to me and you believe in me, believe that I'm the God who did this for you. Believe that I'm the God whose plan is perfect, whose plans can never be thwarted, as Doug was reminding us this morning. Believe in him as that God. Then you can be filled. John returns to this over and over and over again because the message of the gospel is so essential. You need your heart settled on this truth that believing in Jesus is the only way to find eternal life and lasting satisfaction. And you also need to be able to tell your friends where they can find that life as well. Maybe that's why you keep coming back to this. You're like, Sean, I've been in church forever. I get it. I know that this sounds somewhat familiar, but is it familiar enough that you could go to tell your friend tomorrow who doesn't know Jesus how they could find life? Is it where, as you're sitting there thinking, hey man, can I, can I get you some more water? You look awful thirsty today. Hey, did you know Jesus actually used that as a picture? He actually said that, that we're all thirsty, but that if we come to him and drink, we can find the satisfaction we, we've always looked for. Have you ever, have you ever done that? Have you ever come to Jesus? Are you that familiar with God's word where you could do that? That's why we keep going through these things. Some of you may be in here. I I don't know everybody in the room. I don't know everybody who's watching online. It may be here that as you're tuned in, that you have no idea who Jesus is and you're just finding this out. And so I'm calling you personally to drink from Jesus. 
to believe in him, to put your trust in him, not just with your head, but with everything you are and everything you have. But it could also be that that you need to be reminded of what happened when you got saved because you've got people around you who don't know Jesus and you need to be telling them the same thing. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, you do need to believe in him. Don't just sip, drink deeply of the truth that he's in charge of everything in the world, yet he loves you and he wants you to know him and he wants to work in you to help you find the life you were created to live. So drink deeply by believing in him. Now, if you know you've received that water that Jesus supplies, what are you doing to help other people find that life? When's the last time you talked to somebody who you don't know whether or not they know Jesus and you intentionally tried to point them to Jesus? When's the last time? You know, that's, if it's been a while and it's a good friend, let me teach you something they taught us in seminary about how to approach that. If it's somebody who loves you and you feel like, you know, I should have shared the gospel with them a long time ago. I should have talked to them about Jesus. Start the conversation that way. Hey, you know what? There's something that's really important to me and I should have talked with you more about this. I love you, and I want you to know what, what I, I know, and I want you to be a part of what I've been a part of. Can I tell you about Jesus? Because he's so important to me. And I'm sorry that I haven't told you this already. But I just, I have to tell you. Now, you can't save anybody. I mean, you've always heard the old adage of you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. You can bring your friends to Jesus and say, this is where the living water is. But God can take that. God can use your stammering words, your inability to remember, and, and that, that thing that you thought an hour and a half later, you're like, oh, man, I should have said. God can still use that conversation and draw someone to himself. It's not you who saves anybody. You don't get anybody saved. You don't give them living water. You tell them where the living water is, and God does the, the rest of the work. You offer them the opportunity to respond, and God's the one who's doing that. By the way, God's the one who gives you the words to say. God's the one who guides the process so that the only failure in witnessing and sharing your faith is a failure to do it. So personally, have you drunk from that water? And if you have, how are you helping other people to come to find Jesus as the source of living water? Because see, here's the third thing we see here. If you and I have drunk from this living water, if we've come to Jesus and our deepest needs have been satisfied in him, then number three, that ought to overflow out of our lives. Your life ought to look like that washing machine in my basement did that night with water pouring out of every crack and crevice of the thing as it just spewed water out. You know what? That water is town water. So do you know when it would have quit? Never. That washing machine would have literally filled up the entire basement if I gave it enough time because it was connected to something that would never run dry. In the same kind of way, guys, Doug said it this morning. I don't think I've talked to anybody this week who has been like, you know what? It's been a great week. Everything's gone exactly like I wanted it to. And if that's you, praise God. But pretty much everybody I know, there's health stuff. There's fears for the future. There's relationship struggles. There's all kinds of things. What flows out of your life when that happens? You see, Jesus said this, 
the one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. What does that even mean, by the way? These are poetic pictures. So what does it even look like? Well, look at verse 39. He said this about the spirit. So what should overflow out of our lives when we've come to Christ? Well, John says that what should flow out is the Holy Spirit. When John wrote these words, Jesus had, or John wrote it, he, Jesus was talking about when he would give the Holy Spirit to the apostles and the other disciples there in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. That had not yet happened when Jesus said these things. That's what the rest of verse 39 is talking about. But now, ever since the events of the book of Acts, every person from the moment they are saved, the moment God draws them to himself, they surrender to him, from that moment forward, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Now, you're not going to find him on a PET scan. You're not going to find him on a CT scan. But from the very moment you got saved, you have all of the Spirit of God available to you that anybody else does who knows Jesus as Savior and Lord. All of his power, all of his wisdom, it's all there. He is inside you. By the way, we talked about this in our Discover class this morning. We call the Holy Spirit a he, not an it. Some people look at the Holy Spirit as if it's like the midichlorian count and the force, Right? Some of you guys, for Star Wars, you know, the force just gives you the power to do these things. The Holy Spirit is not the force. That's not a biblical concept. The Holy Spirit is a person who takes up residence in you. And as he does, there's all kinds of things that he does. He assures you of your salvation. And this is all backed up in Scripture. This is not just me talking. As he assures you of your salvation, we'll see later on in John, he teaches you all things, he reminds you of all things, he convicts the world of sin, he does all of this, he empowers you to obey. God, through his spirit living inside you, gives you all of this. Now, we grow in our understanding of how to walk in step with the spirit, how to honor him as he transforms our thoughts, as he transforms the way we act, that plays out in the way that we live. But now that's still really kind of theoretical as we talk about it, isn't it? It's kind of, kind of heady. So let me give you a real practical test to see if you could say, yes, when you look at my life, what the outflow and the overflow of my life is, is the Spirit of God, okay? Here's where you can see it. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul wrote a letter to the church at Galatia and was talking about the way that it looks like when the Spirit is living in us, okay? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against such things. Okay, all right, the law is not against such things. All right, leave that up for a minute, Alex. All right, how many of you guys just sang the song? You guys grew up in church. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right, okay, that was a Sunday school song. Now, when we talk about the fruit of something, If you have an apple tree in your yard that's an actual fruit-bearing apple tree, not one of these hybrids, what comes off of the apple tree? Apples. Oranges do not grow off of your apple tree, right? So he's saying the fruit, the outflow, the overflow of the Spirit being inside you is going to be this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So let me ask you, if I were to replay the video of your week, what would I see in the overflow? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If I asked your wife, if I asked your kids, if I asked your roommate, 
your professor, your boss, the nurse that took forever to draw your blood this week? What came out in the overflow? Jesus said, for those of us who have come to drink, that from deep inside of us, these rivers of living water should be pouring out of us. I've told you guys before, growing up, my parents lived out in Plum Creek. We had a spring on the side of the hill. There was a big old tree that grew out of the spring box. It was a cinder blocks box. I remember taking the lid off of it sometimes when we have to clean stuff out or whatever. And they're just through the roots of this tree, there's just water almost like magic. It just comes pouring out of the side of the hill. And it just kept doing that. Even in the driest months of the year, water still came out of that spring, enough for our house. Now, I don't know where that water came from, and I don't understand aquifers and things like that. Ask Jack. He's done a lot of study in civil engineering and water stuff. He could probably explain to you a lot more about that, how that worked than I could. All I know is somewhere deep within that hill, there's a supply of water that keeps pushing itself up and is literally just pouring out of the side of the hill. It's clear. It's cold. It's delicious. It's the best water on earth. And it just flows. Why? Because there's this source deep within that hill that that water flows out of. In the same kind of way, if you and I sit here, and I believe most people in this room would say that they've come and they've drank of the water that Jesus offers, they've been saved, their, their thirst has been satisfied by Christ. But my question is, why isn't that flowing out then? Why would those who know you best not say that you act in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? By the way, gentleness to me is one of the biggest things right now. Everybody is on edge. Everybody. Everybody has had an experience where they've gone to a store this week and not been able to find one of the things that they need. Okay? Everybody's worried about stuff for the future. Maybe not because some of you guys don't have an anxious bone in your body. God bless you. I would love to be more like that. But at some level, people are tired, they're frustrated, and ready to snap. But what should flow out of us? Gentleness. Instead of blowing up, it should be, wow, sounds like you've had a hard day. How can I pray for you about that? I told you early on, I heard somebody refer to Christians during the pandemic as as a circuit breaker. When others are overloading at us, we're supposed to just kind of cut it off with us. Why? Why is this the fruit? Because if I have drunk deeply from the God of the universe who gave his own son for me, there is no greater love than I can imagine. So then I should be able to allow Jesus' love to flow through me into the lives of others as it flows from him through me into other people. I should be able to be filled with joy because like Job who lost everything, he still was able to recognize the fact that God had a plan and was doing something and we didn't understand it. He wasn't always happy about it, but at the same time, there's a deeply rooted joy that says, I know God's plans cannot be thwarted. That should give me peace, regardless of what happens with elections, 
with inflation, with whatever it may be. That should give me patience with the cashier who just started this week because they're finally getting a job after the pandemic and and they have no idea what they're doing and the register looks like it's all in Chinese to them. They have no clue what's going on and you just want to reach over and strangle their little neck and say, you just get it. Patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus said, if we come to him, we recognize that we're thirsty, then we can come to him and drink. We can find the love, the joy, the peace, the hope that only he can give. And then that will then overflow out of our lives into the world around us. I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes here for just a moment. As you think about this message, there's two main applications for us. Number one is, have you come to the point where you have acknowledged that you need Jesus? If not, you can do that right now, right where you're seated. Tell him, God, I've heard what Sean said. I've heard what you say in the Bible. I know that I need you, and I want to turn from doing life my way, what you call sin. I want to turn to doing life your way and put you in charge. The Bible uses the term for that, of putting Jesus as the Lord over our lives, acknowledging that he's in control. You can do that right where you're at. But if you need help making that decision, I would love to talk with you more about that. And so just in a minute, I'm going to be down front, and you can come down and talk with me about it. But if you're here today, though, and you know Jesus, you know you've made that decision, is the Spirit of God overflowing out of a deep place in your heart? Would to God that everybody who comes into contact with somebody who claims the name of Christ and is a part of Christiansburg Baptist Church, would to God that everybody who encounters one of us would know Jesus by the way we respond. Maybe one of those in particular stuck out to you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Maybe one of those is a big issue for you right now. Would you ask God to give you the strength to see the Holy Spirit flow out in that particular area this week? Would you ask him to give you wisdom about what that should look like and what the first step will be for you to make that change? I'm gonna pray for us right now. And then after I pray, I want you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Just do business with God. If you need to talk with me, I'm down here and I'd love to talk with you about making that decision to follow Jesus or praying with you about whatever you need prayer for. If you don't need to come down here, you can just do business with God where you're at. So let's pray. Father, we're so grateful again for your word. We're grateful that Jesus stood up and declared that if anyone was thirsty, we could come to him and drink. I pray that if there's anybody here this morning or anybody who's watching this online or listening to this later and they've not yet put their trust in Jesus as their Savior and their Lord, would you allow them to believe in him today? Draw them to yourself. For those of us who claim your name, we ask your forgiveness. 
we ask that you would fill us with your spirit in such a way that he would overflow out of our lives, that that we would be life-giving people, that rivers of living water would flow from us for your name, for your glory, and for your sake. Help us to respond as fit, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and keep your head bowed and your eyes closed here for just a moment. If you need to talk with me, I'm here. If not, do business with God, and then I'll close this in prayer.